Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. I'm Margarita, and I'm a researcher at the Institute of Art and Ideas. And I'm Ricky, I'm production lead here at the Institute of Art and Ideas. Today we've got Necessity and Lies, featuring senior lecturer in philosophy at Royal Holloway, Rebecca Roach, professor of psychology and psychiatry at Cambridge University, Simon Baron Cohen, and non-realist philosopher, Hilary Lawson. This took place in 2022 at the How the Light Gets In Festival in Hay, the philosophy festival produced by the team here at the IAI. So, Ricky, tell us a bit about this debate. This one explores whether it's ever right to lie or if honesty is always the best policy, as they say. Obviously, Kant explored this idea a lot, and most of us think that it's usually good to go with the truth. But sometimes white lies seem like they could be the right thing to do. I feel like a good white lie every once in a while is necessary, you know? <laughs> do you lie, lie a lot, Margarita? <laughs> I wouldn't say a lot, only when the time calls for it. Just a little. <laughs> but remember, if you enjoy today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit ii.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. Let's hand over to our host for the debate, Samira Shackle. Honesty is upheld as an age-old virtue of civilization. yet there are many instances where we deem lying desirable. Few, for instance, would think it right for parents to be honest with their offspring about who their favorite child is, or to be honest about the talents or abilities of a friend, relative or colleague if it's likely to be hurtful to them. Nor are we critical of Churchill for his rousing wartime speeches, even if we now know he didn't always believe them himself. Should we recognise that lying can be valuable and sometimes necessary for ourselves and for those in power? Or is honesty not only essential in public life, but vital in all aspects of our everyday life as well? Alternatively, is the mistake to see honesty as a virtue and should we instead recognise it as an act that can be both good and ill? I'm Samira Shackle. I'm the editor of New Humanist magazine, which is a partner of How the Light Gets In this year. You can pick up the magazine in the festival bookshop. Uh, I'll introduce our speakers. Rebecca Roach is Senior Lecturer in Philosophy at Royal Holloway, which is part of the University of London, and a pioneer in the field of the philosophy of swearing. Her work has been featured in The Times, The Guardian, and the BBC. Simon Baron-Cohen is a professor in the Departments of Psychology and Psychiatry at the University of Cambridge, and he's Director of the University's Autism Research Centre, as well as a Fellow of Trinity College. Hilary Lawson is a philosopher and an outspoken critic of philosophical realism. He's best known for his theory of closure, which puts forward a non-realist metaphysics. He's the founder and editorial director of the IAI. So we're going to kick things off with everyone doing an uninterrupted three-minute pitch. And I'm going to ask you each the question, starting with Rebecca. What is a lie and how can we avoid making them? Yeah, um... 
nobody likes lies. And there's obviously a link between lying and not telling the truth. I mean, it's, it's slightly more complicated than that, but we don't have to get into that. But yeah, you know, as we heard in the introduction, sometimes we think it's okay or even desirable to lie. But I don't think it's quite as simple as honesty being something that's sometimes good and sometimes bad. It's more like something that's always good unless there's a good reason for not being honest. So unless not being honest is going to hurt somebody or jeopardize national security or, or, or something, something along these lines. And I think what that tells us is that honesty is desirable. It is a virtue, if you want to think of it in that way, but it's not the only virtue. And so we can have situations where it might be important to exhibit different virtues and it might not be possible to exhibit more than one at once. So sometimes they contradict each other. So you might, if your spouse asks, how do I look in this outfit? And your honest answer is, you look terrible. You know, you have a, honesty is a virtue, but then so is treating your spouse considerately, right? And it might be that in a situation like that, you can't, you can't fulfill both of those roles. So then we have to make a choice. And I think that this is, this is something that's reflected in the work of Aristotle. So Aristotle thought that living a good life meant developing the virtues. And he had a list of virtues, which he thought were important to develop. So the virtues are character traits. And he saw each virtue as a midpoint on a spectrum. And honesty was one of the virtues that he talked about. And he saw honesty as a midpoint on a spectrum where at each end is sort of some undesirable state. So at one end is kind of brutal honesty where you're kind of honest no matter what the consequences are. And then at the other end is, you know, just sort of the, the sort of dishonesty that we dislike, you know, sort of being honest, being dishonest for no reason or sort of manipulating people, that sort of thing. So Aristotle was seeing, you know, he wasn't seeing honesty as the sort of trait where the more you have of it, the better. It's something that you have to, you have to strike a balance. And I think that reflects the way that we see it today, that you can have too much of it. But as I said at the beginning, I don't think this is a case of when it can be good and, and it, sometimes it's not. I think it really is the sort of thing that it is a virtue, but it's just, it's not the only virtue. It has to compete with other virtues as well. We have to, you know, it's not always a simple matter to decide which which virtue should triumph if you have a clash. Brilliant. And that was almost exactly three minutes. So okay, well done to you. So. Thanks, <laughs> Rebecca. Uh, Simon, on to you. What is a lie and how can we avoid telling them? Right. Um, so this is a really interesting uh, topic. And I'm going to come at it as a developmental psychologist initially, because I'm going to start off by pointing out that we are the only species that can deceive flexibly. Human beings lie all the time. Uh, it's normative. But the bigger question for me is why are we the only species that can do it? So there are other species that uh, can have a go at deception, but do it in a much more limited way. Think about uh, an insect that's pretending to be a stick or a fish that's pretending to be a rock, where they've been wired to, as it were, send out false information. But we can lie in any number of countless situations and we can do it flexibly. And I think the reason we can do it is because we've got a circuit in our brain that evolved about 70 to 100,000 years ago called the empathy circuit. And what this circuit does, it allows us to think about 
other people's thoughts and feelings. And deception, just to answer the direct question, what is deception? Deception is when you make somebody believe that something is true, when in fact it's false. But to be able to do that in the first place, you have to have an idea that people can have different beliefs, different thoughts to yourself. You have to try and take another person's perspective. And that's what the empathy circuit allows us to do. So what is empathy? Deception is part of a, a broader set of skills that we have where we can imagine other people's thoughts and feelings. One part of empathy is what's called cognitive empathy, which is the recognition part. What is somebody thinking or feeling? The other part is called affective empathy, which is having an emotional response to what someone else is thinking or feeling. Cognitive empathy, it turns out to have all kinds of benefits, not just deception, and we can argue about what are the benefits of deception, but also cognitive empathy allows us to communicate flexibly, unlike other species. It allows us to cooperate socially on a remarkable scale across the planet. Uh, it allows us to share information uh, and to navigate social situations. So cognitive empathy brings with it uh, a whole set of uniquely human abilities that other species just don't have. And it's one of the reasons why human beings are the dominant species on the planet. If we just think 70,000 years ago, in the archaeological record, we see the first bow and arrow. And the person, one of our ancestors who made that, was inventing a weapon that could kill prey with stealth. So the prey has absolutely no idea that what's about to happen to them because this is a weapon that can kill at a distance silently. And that's just one example of deception that enabled complex tool use. It's evidence in the archeological record we've been doing it at least 70,000 years. Affective empathy allows something different, which is altruism. It allows us, for example, to have compassion towards refugees from Ukraine as complete strangers. So this empathy circuit is giving us a whole suite of skills and abilities that we just don't see in other species. Going to have to jump in there, but we will have time to come back to all of these topics. Okay. If that's okay with you. Great. So Hilary, what is a lie and how can we avoid telling them? Well, I'm, uh, I'm a post-realist uh, philosopher, non-realist philosopher. And that means that I, I don't think that our thoughts and languages are a language are capable of describing things in the external world, but the external world isn't somehow divided up and we, we get it right or wrong. Now, some people think that that means that I can't identify people as lying. And uh, I don't hold that view. Uh, I think we can identify people who are lying, or at least we can have a go at doing it. But the reason that that's the case is because lying is not really related to truth and falsity, at least truth and falsity in the sense of what's going on out there. Lying is about whether you are honest in your reflection of your own perception of the world. And those are quite different things. So we are capable of saying something and telling the truth, which is directly false. So, for example, you might think that Casablanca is the capital of Morocco. Somebody asks you, what is the capital of Morocco? And you say Casablanca. That is not a lie. It may be wrong, but it's not a lie. So lying is about saying something you do not believe. 
And we, uh, we frequently say things that we believe which turn out to be wrong. So in the case of you know, famous cases of accusations of lying in public life, and if you take the case of weapons of mass destruction, which I'm sure we're all aware of, it was undoubtedly the case that Bush and Blair were wrong that there were me- weapons of mass destruction. The fact that there weren't any weapons of mass destruction doesn't mean to say they were liars. It doesn't mean to say they were telling the truth either. But it's not about whether it was true or false. It's about whether they were reflecting their view. Did they at the time believe that there weren't weapons of mass destruction and told us that there were? That would be a lie. So determining whether somebody is lying is not at all straightforward because we have no access to their state of mind to be able to see what they're saying at the moment is or isn't the view that they in fact hold. So we have to make a judgment about whether they're lying. We presume that they have a certain outlook on the world, which we determine from the other things they've said in the past and the the ways they've acted in the past. And we then say, okay, that's what you think. And therefore, in this particular case, you, you were lying. But it involves a judgment. We can't prove that's the case. And in fact, one of the problems with lying is that the liar is always capable of finding a reason of why it was that in this particular instance, they weren't lying. But there's an important caveat to all of that, which is that it's not enough to say, well, I believed it at the time. So if somebody says to you, I'll love you forever, and the following day, they treat you cruelly and in a behavior that is just nothing to do with loving you, that counts as a lie, even if, and it's no defense on their part, that they should say, well, I believed it at the time. You know, in the moment, I was really lost to the idea that I, you know, I, I would love you forever. No, that's not right. It, we, 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 we assume that the person has to take a fair consideration of the other views that they hold and what they are likely to do in the future to determine whether they are lying in that particular instance. We'll come back to you. That's a great first pitch. Thank you. Right. I think let's grapple with the bigger question behind the debate, which is, uh, I think, something all the speakers have touched on already. Should honesty be seen as the ultimate virtue of human flourishing? Uh, Rebecca, I wonder if we could start by coming back to you. Uh, Maybe you could comment on Hillary's conception of the relationship between lying and reality. Yeah, I think I I agree with Hillary. I think um, we expect honesty from people. But we don't expect them to have like a direct route to facts all the time. So, you know, we're, we're fallible. I agree with that. It goes back to what, what I was saying about sort of maybe about Aristotle's conception of the virtues. That, you know, he thought there were multiple virtues we should be striving to develop. And, and the fact that sometimes it is okay or even desirable to be dishonest and deceptive shows that we think other things are important as well. It's not only that honesty is good and sometimes and sometimes it's not. It's that we we make judgments about whether a person did the right thing in being dishonest in a particular situation. You know, sometimes we can say they had good reasons. Of course, they shouldn't have been honest in that situation. And then at other times we might think, um, you, you know, sort of if you lie because you don't want to get into trouble or something like that, we might sort of think that lying was the wrong thing to do. So it's not that we're fickle, really. It's that we... Uh, There's some logic to the way that we think about these issues and and what matters, what virtue, if we can use this framework, we ought to be exhibiting in a particular 
scenario. And I think this shows that, you know, honesty isn't all that matters. It's just one of the important things. Simon, would you agree with that? Um, I would, because, you know, there are lies and there are lies. So sometimes we tell white lies because we're trying to protect another person's feelings. So even if we don't like their hairstyle, we might say we like their hairstyle. So that's where empathy comes in. Sometimes we don't uh, prioritize the truth. We prioritize other people's feelings. Whereas if, let's say, a psychopath comes to your door and is saying that they are the gas man and they're coming in to read the gas meter, and as soon as they're in, they mug you, they're telling a lie in order to exploit the situation, maybe hurt another person. So there we would judge the lie based on what was the intent. Was it to hurt or was it to protect? And, uh, you know, society rests, although we raise our children to say, don't tell lies. And clearly honesty is important for morality. Sometimes some lies are acceptable if it's going to protect other people's feelings. Hilary, are lies ever acceptable? Well, certainly lies uh, are sort of unavoidable in day-to-day interaction. You know, how many of us have said when someone asks you, I'm fine? Well, you know, you haven't conveyed to them how you felt that morning or um, other things you're concerned about. And much of manners is about providing a framework where we uh, encourage social, that we're all getting on, we all reasonably get on with each other. And a lot of that time, that involves uh, pretending to feel differently than we do. But... I'm going to you know, come to the defense of honesty here, because although I'm a critic of the idea that we can ever get to objective truth, I do think that honesty is a vital virtue. And it's vital once we consider what we say and we take into account these other things and we are asked, is that what you actually think? It is essential, I think, that we are honest. And that's because it's too easy to make a justification of saying, well, I thought it was for the good of other people that I was saying this, or I thought whatever it is. And more profoundly, that being honest, that is, in saying what you believe, is essential to communication and indeed to meaning. Meaning rests on the idea that in language and in communication, we mean what we say. And if we undermine that in some fundamental way, you no longer know what somebody means. So somebody who lies frequently, you don't know what they mean. You don't know how to interpret. And what's more, the subtlety of language starts to evaporate because you have no way of pinning it down. So I, in a way, want to come to the rescue of, of honesty here and say, no, in many situations where we might think that it might be better you know, not to be honest, I think there's got to be very profound reason for thinking that this is the right thing to do, other than in the day-to-day exercise of behaving in a way which is socially convenient and, uh, and good for everybody. Can I just pick up on your point, Hilary, which is, I think honesty is not just vital for meaning and communication, but also for trust. So the reason we kind of prioritize honesty is we like to feel that we can trust the other person and sort of hold them to what they're saying as true. And we do it particularly to our our leaders, our politicians. But, you know, I think we have to recognize that dishonesty has its place as well. And we'd be naive to say that people don't lie and people might lie for perfectly good reasons. Should we still be striving for honesty, though? So I think it depends on the context. You know, in politics, 
I think we need to be able to trust our leaders. And when we discover that they've lied to us, we rightly feel outraged. In the world of science, science is all about truth. And if we discover that a scientist is fabricating the evidence, then how can we trust the whole enterprise of science? So you have to look at each situation. Whereas, you know, the example you gave of saying, I'm fine, thank you, when someone asks how you are, in that context, it may not be appropriate to start spilling your guts about <laughs> how you're really feeling. Mm -hmm. And so you're just getting through a social situation in the least disruptive way. I'm wondering if we can, so, so this idea of sort of whether honesty is something that we, we should be striving for, whether we can come back to something you mentioned, Simon, uh, this sort of quite wide definition of honesty, where sort of deception is, was it sort of representing the world as other than it is or something along those lines? So like a fish pretending to be a rock, that kind of, that kind of thing. That got me thinking that there's, there's some things, there's some things that we do, which I think kind of it's not obvious whether they're honest or not. So if you imagine a situation like you're going to a job interview or you're going on a date or some other situation where you're trying to impress people, you will kind of typically represent the best version of yourself, right? You'll kind of be smarter than you usually are, maybe kind of better mannered, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's a sense in which that's dishonest because you're not, it's, it's not kind of what you see is what you get situation. But also the the role that something like a job interview plays in the culture we all know that that's going on right we kind of expect people to present a certain version of themselves and if they didn't if you were on an interview panel and somebody kind of rocked up in their dressing gown and slippers and you know asked you to make them a cup of tea before we started th this sort of thing in case you sort of do that sort of thing at home it wouldn't merely be the case that you would think what an honest person. It would be like, th this person just has no respect or recognition of the norms that govern this sort of social situation. And you know, if they, if they can't even get a job interview right, what the hell are they gonna be like in the job? So, you know, we, we honesty might be important, but sort of being able to play a, the right sort of role in society is as well. And that sometimes that means that groups of people kind of participate in a form of deception if you can put it that way. But, but maybe just to take your point a little bit further, maybe we're all deceiving all the time. So you're sitting here in the audience and you've got all sorts of thoughts going through your mind, but you're deciding what to express and what not to express, what information to communicate and what to withhold. We do that with our kids. So we might talk as adults about what Putin is doing, but we might not talk to, to our four-year-old about what Putin is doing. So we're kind of withholding information and presenting different versions of the world to different people. I argued at the beginning that's because we've got the capacity to do that, to monitor what other people might think, what other people might need to know. And obviously that can be used or misused. Like if we take the example of Putin, basically brainwashing the whole of Russia into saying that he is denazifying Ukraine. That's just presenting misinformation as a form of propaganda that's an example of deception which does harm. Louis, what do you think about that? Well, I think that there's areas of that. There's a question about what we think is true and whether what is being said is what is believed. So you may well be right, or I might well agree with you in your description of Putin, for example. But it seems to me one of the mistakes of many commentators in the West has been not to listen to Putin's actual outlook and to see what the worldview is there and to understand that there is a coherence to that worldview 
however much we might despise it. Absolutely. And that therefore to say, oh, well, it's just deceiving, perhaps, you know, could some, I mean, while I would agree with you, that there might be instances where there is straightforward deception. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're but, doing, but, but I think that, that it's, it's often more tricky than it yeah. first looks. And what you're doing is you're employing your cognitive empathy to imagine what does Putin think. Yeah. So you're trying to enter into the mind of a, of a, a stranger, effectively, yeah. who might not have our Western-centric, NATO-centric view of the world. Yeah. He might have a completely different parallel belief system. Yeah. Nevertheless, we can also say, in controlling the media, the state media, as he does. He's trying to use the media to misinform a whole population about the that, atrocities that are being committed. That's true, but I think we are always at risk of seeing that what we are doing is somehow morally okay, and the person who is, as it were, in opposition to us is morally bankrupt or indeed lying. You know, a very common maneuver is to take people with whom we profoundly disagree and say they are lying or mad or any other sort of easy epithet to describe what's going on. Well, I think it's usually a much more effective way is to imagine what is actually their worldview and to seek to understand that worldview, not that you agree with it, but to seek to understand that view and then engage in that perception. And indeed, you know, Western coverage of media is almost as unanimous on the Western side as Putin's is in Moscow. You know, so in Moscow, you don't hear what's going on in Ukraine. But how many times have any of you heard what is being said in Moscow about what's going on in Ukraine? You hear tiny little snippets which seek to demonstrate that Putin is obviously off the wall. You're not given a, a decent chunk of time where you hear his worldview. And that's because we think it's a dangerous worldview and we profoundly disagree with it, which I would entirely agree with. But I think we are mistaken when we just write people off as whether they're just liars or they're mad. Mm -hmm. I think Can, this, I, can so I just jump in for a minute? Sorry, just to sum up where we're at. So I asked everybody, should honesty be seen as an ultimate virtue of human flourishing? I think we've all agreed, our speakers, that there are cases where it's okay to be dishonest. Rebecca introduced at the beginning the idea of tact. Hillary has made a strong defense of honesty in the way in which, although we might need to be dishonest, sometimes part of how we understand meaning is to do with honesty. And I think that comes back to Simon's sort of broader point about what makes us human. Uh, we've moved on quite naturally, actually, uh, conveniently for me, to our next topic, which is whether lying is ever justified for those in positions of power I think we've agreed that lying is, uh, in some instances, particularly the interpersonal, uh, acceptable. But if lying is, in fact, ever justified for those in positions of power, does that apply equally to all of us? And sorry, Rebecca, I cut across you, so we guess we can return to the discussion of Russia. That's what you wanted to get yeah, into. Yeah, I think yeah. So, so. This actually yeah. kind of fits quite nicely into so the, the thought that I had, which is that I think that the points Hillary was making was to do with this this whole idea that you know honesty is important, but so are other things. And that sometimes we can be biased, right? Sort of juggling these different virtues and sort of deciding when honesty should give way to something else is really tricky. And we're biased, you know, that there is this sort of Western view that, okay, yeah, Putin's horrible and Western media is great. I don't know if anybody actually believes that, but, but you know, there is this sort of um, this blind spot when it comes to sort of what's going on at home. I mean, I think the, the issue of sort of lying by leaders and in politics is really tricky because I think on the one hand, it seems like 
it should be the same for everyone. You know, if, if it's okay to lie sometimes, then that applies to everyone, right? It, maybe especially to politicians because they might sometimes need to lie in order to promote some other good end. Um, and so it's important that they do that. But I think there's this, I mean, it goes back to this issue of trust, doesn't it? It's that we, we're suspicious of politicians' motives when they lie. You know, it doesn't help, I guess, that they don't tend to be kind of one of us. They're sort of people from an extremely privileged and powerful group. And so, you know, when we find out that a politician has lied, probably most of us don't think they must have chosen some other virtue to focus on here. It's they're pursuing some other agenda that's sort of not in our interests at all. And I think, you know, there's a real risk of that. Even if that's not what's happening, there's the possibility that the public might think that that's what's happening is a reason, I think, to tread really carefully if you're a politician. Simon, what do you think about that? If uh, it's okay for uh, for us to deceive sometimes, is it okay for those in power? Well, um, as I said earlier, I think there are certain contexts in which honesty is given a much higher priority or value. And we want our politicians to be honest with us because we are giving them power, power over resources, ultimately, of how, we, how they spend our tax-paying money. And, uh, you know, if a politician says before an election, makes a promise, and then immediately breaks it, we feel that they've broken our trust. We were elevating them into a position of authority, and then they broke our trust. It's no different to someone trying to sell you a secondhand car and claiming it works when they know very well it doesn't. If the politician says that they're not going to leave Europe, and then they do, they've broken our trust. And in a situation like that, the stakes are so high that we do value honesty. Mm. Hilary, what would you think about that? Coming back to your idea of um, you know holding something to be true at the time that you say it, does that apply equally to our politicians? Should we hold them to a higher standard? Well, I'm not sure I sh that we should hold them to a higher standard. I just think that we should seek to be honest when we are careful about our claims. And anybody who's leading any organization needs to be careful about their claims. I think that we are often inclined to not imagine what it is like for somebody who is in a position of great responsibility. And it's quite easy, therefore, to fail to appreciate the circumstance they're in and therefore what is going on for them when they are saying what it is that they're saying. But of course, we should hold them to the same principles of honesty that I think the one should hold generally. And we should seek to understand what has led them or leads them to say whatever it is and seek to make a, a fair judgment about whether we think they are lying or not. I mean, it's very obvious, is it not, that one of the weird things about politics is that we have a habit of electing leaders in a, in a moment of enthusiasm and then time goes by and we become disenchanted with them. It's quite hard to identify a leader that you can think back to who you think hasn't, people don't think at some point or other has been lying. I suspect this is not entirely because absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's because it is very difficult to be in a position of responsibility and avoid ever saying something which is not in conflict with other things that you have said or that you intend to do. Exceptionally difficult. And we, we tend to trivialize how difficult that is and imagine that you, know, you can straightforwardly always be seen to say things that are not only honest but true. 
But of course, we should hold uh, leaders to uh, the same but, principles. But look, of look at uh, look at what happens in terms of trust in leaders when we have a sense that they break their promises and lie. It leads to a kind of cynicism that you can't trust politicians and a kind of uh, almost not just disenchantment, but a kind of sense of estrangement from the political system. Wouldn't it be nice to hear a politician say, I said this not just to get into power, so it was a lie just to get into power, but I say something different today because I've changed my mind. That would be an honest statement, Mm. but we don't hear that. Mm. Or at least not very often. Mm. I think yeah. that, that raises another point, which is the, I mean, this is something that's always puzzled me a bit, that the fact that U-turns are kind of a taboo in politics. And so there's this disincentive to uh, to say, I was wrong. You kind of just have to hold to your, hold to your guns. You can't be seen to have done a U-turn. And that's a kind of weird, that's a weird one. That's, you know, why should not changing your mind be a virtue? But it does seem to be, at least in politics, something that we expect from politicians. I mean, maybe we take it as a proxy for sort of knowing what the hell you're doing. But, you know, if you kind of change your mind on the matters of this importance, then should you even be there in the first place? But then the problem with that is that, you know, sort of people, politicians are then kind of perhaps have less flexibility with the views there they feel able to express. In fact, in that instance, does it matter, Hilary, if someone is lying or not? I know you've talked a lot about the, the motivation someone has when they're saying something. Does it matter if a politician is lying, if the end result is that they've completely changed their position, which might be um, changing it to something that the electorate who elected them doesn't agree with any longer? Well, I, I think that I've argued saying that I think that, you know, honesty is not the only virtue, but I do think it's a primary virtue and it, it should be only abandoned when there are very good reasons for doing so. So I don't think there's a sort of easy you know, solution to that and just say, well, I, I, I thought it was good for people. I also actually just think on relation to this, and it's very re- re- relevant to the current situation, I'm sure many of us have some specific examples in mind. I, I'm rather critical of the frequent demands for, for saying sorry. I don't think saying sorry is a get out of jail card free if you lie. If you say something and after the event you confess, uh, or you say, well, I, I'm sorry, I didn't do that, I, I did that, or I'm sorry that this happened. That doesn't change that it was a lie. You can't somehow use your use this sort of uh, uh, um, exercise. And, and it's very embedded in our culture, obviously. I mean, the Catholic Church embeds the idea of confession. Uh, and in a way, I, I'm a, quite a Calvinist on this line. I, I just don't think that's right. I don't think you can, on the one hand, say, I think uh, this is the case, or I believe this is the case, do something differently, and then say, oh, I confess, I'm terribly sorry. Well, you didn't believe it in the first place. You were lying. You were just, you were lying to yourself. You're lying to everyone else. You didn't believe it. And saying, oh, it was difficult. I couldn't manage it. I couldn't cope with the situation. You know, I'm really sorry. That doesn't cut any ice with me. It seems to me it's of no relevance. The question is, you said something, there was every reason for you to know that this might come about. You shouldn't have said it in the first place unless you were prepared to carry through with it. Rebecca, just to come back to you, uh, your original point about honesty being one of many virtues and the idea of tact and respect and so on. Do you think that honesty is a particularly important virtue when it comes to those in positions of power? Yes. I mean, of course, it's uh, transparency is important, right? We're not in a dictatorship. So we, we're not supposed to be. Um, we're supposed to, you know, our views are supposed to be represented and we're supposed to be able to trust politicians to carry through what they say they're going to do. 
I mean, it's interesting, sort of having noticed over the last few years, there have been instances of dishonesty that, you know, it sort of seems that a decade or so ago would have been resignation issues. Um, And it almost seems like culturally our tolerance for dishonesty in politicians has increased. Maybe we just expect less. But, but, you know, there are sort of video clips of politicians sort of saying a year ago that something wasn't going to happen and then it does happen. And they don't resign and and just carry on. And you sort of think, well, what, what does that, where do we go with this? You know, what, what, where, where does honesty go in well, that sort of situation? Yeah, I, if you say, if a politician a year ago is saying, this is not going to happen, and it does happen, that's not necessarily dishonest. No, it's they not necessarily, but there is instances yeah. where, it, yeah. where it clearly so, is. So to, to be dishonest, they have to say that they think something which they do not believe at the time. They think it's going to go wrong and they tell us it's not going to go wrong. Then I then I agree. Is, doesn't this come back to your original point about that the definition of, of deception is rests on the intention that you're intending to mislead, you're deliberately intending to mislead. And so someone simply making an honest mistake, a sorry might be fine, but an intention to deliberately mislead, a sorry won't cancel that. And so it's all about the, the, the motives of the person. Mm, absolutely. So just to jump in there, uh, I think we again have agreed on some of the some of the salient points that the the considerations uh, informing a lie and how a lie might be received are very different when it comes to those who we've entrusted in positions of power, and that's a very different uh, different set of considerations to, for instance, uh, telling a, a white lie to your what we might call a white lie to your spouse or friend or so on. I want to move on to discuss a hypothetical future scenario. So if we were to give up the idea that honesty is a virtue, what implications might it have for public life and the functioning of society if we did no longer thought that we should all try to be honest all the time? Simon, we'll come to you first. So I'm going to take an unusual tack here because I started off in my in my introduction saying that we all have the capacity to deceive because human beings have this empathy circuit in their in their brain that allows us to do this flexibly. But there are some people who struggle to tell lies. So many of you might know that I work in the field of autism, and autistic people don't see the point of lying. They're honest, sometimes to their own detriment. They like people to be very straight and direct with them. And in turn, that's the way they communicate because they prioritize the truth. They prioritize transparency. So given that that is a percentage of the population and autistic people have a disability, if we try to imagine a society in the future where we are just a bit more transparent, a bit more direct, that's going to certainly be of benefit to this particular minority, people who struggle to understand when somebody isn't telling the truth, and a group who are actually very vulnerable who regularly get exploited by others who are very skilled at lying and uh, experience all kinds of vulnerability as a result of not being able to tell when they're being deceived and when they're not. Interesting. So, Hilary, you started off by saying that, uh, you know, we, we should be thinking not about objective truth, but about our own relation to reality. If we, if we were no longer trying to be honest, what would that society look like? Well, I, I think it would be profoundly damaging, as I, I was saying to you. I think that if if we don't seek to say how we what we are actually thinking, uh, in the end, it is destructive of communication and all meaning in the limit 
So I, I don't think th th this is, is remotely a viable strategy. But you can see why I began by saying, you know, making the overall philosophical point, I am a critic of the notion of objective truth and the idea that we can simply find the right answer uh, like tick box. And we do live in a culture which has become more questioning of objective truth and is more aware of perspectives and alternatives and so forth. And that outlook is often portrayed as if, oh, well, this is a free-for-all. Anybody can make up any old thing. And that's exactly why I'm saying, no, I don't think that's the case. While uh, on the one hand, I don't think that it's possible to imagine that you know we can just have discovered the truth and then that just silences everybody. I think there's an indefinite number of different perspectives and they all have potential. They're not necessarily, they don't necessarily all have uh, equal value remotely, but they all have uh, potential. But I think that we have to be honest about our uh, expressing our worldview because otherwise we undermine meaning itself and we're not able to get communication off the ground. And Rebecca? Yeah, I think this the communication would break down. I think, you know, if we, if you, I've, I've encountered somebody like this who will just sort of, um, everything they say is a lie. And it's sort of almost, I think for most of us, we, we kind of, we default to honesty, right? Unless, unless there's some reason to tell a lie. But then in a few people, that seems to be broken and that they, their default is just to sort of say what you want to hear or sort of pursue some other agenda and something. And there's just, there's just no point asking, you know, if you want some information from somebody like that, sort of what, what did you have for breakfast or something along those lines, you know that, you know, if you understand what's going on, you know that you can't, you can't take the answer as representative of what, what they had for breakfast, that there's something else going on instead. And, you know, if you kind of know something about who you're talking to and you can kind of mind read a bit, then perhaps you can get something out of it. But but the act of communication, you know, sort of seeking information from another person is damaged. And that's not all we do. We talk to each, each other, not just to exchange information, but it's a it's a huge part of what we do. And so in that sense, I guess, um, what, what you're describing, if you're uh, talking to someone who you can't be sure of their answers, I mean, how does that how does that relate to what you started off talking about, Simon, about autistic people who may have a different um, different way of understanding yeah. deception or not? So, you know, I think what autism teaches us is that the brain can develop in many different ways. Uh, and for autistic people, they may have difficulties using that very specific circuit I mentioned earlier, the empathy circuit in the brain. But it means that their style of communication may be very different. And we need to make reasonable adjustments for their disability. If they are very direct and honest with us, it might come across as rude. They're not intending to be rude, but they're just saying what they think. And they may not realize that uh, non-autistic people are constantly sugaring the pill and uh, sort of beating around the bush when they, rather than saying things as they are. Interesting. I think that um, it comes back to uh, what Rebecca started talking about around tact and and finding a, a sort yeah. of mid point. Um, so I think we're we're all roughly agreeing here that um, that in a this sort of hypothetical future society where we're no longer trying to be honest and and honesty ceases to be a virtue, communication breaks down entirely. But that it seems to sort of depend um, this idea of honesty as a virtue on on all of us understanding the instances where it's okay to lie and where it isn't okay to lie. Uh, so I wonder, Rebecca, do we all have a kind of shared understanding of that broadly? 
as yeah. people? I, well, I think certainly an overlapping understanding. Yeah. You know, sort of we might we might disagree in certain cases about whether a particular person did the right thing when they were dishonest. But I think, you know, there's enough overlap between us. We all sort of share roughly the same set of manners and the same sort of understanding of let's not hurt people's feelings with our brutal honesty, that sort of thing. I mean, we can disagree, I guess, in cases like, you know, say you've stolen something and you deny it. And um, and so that's a lie. But in order, if, if you get away with it, then you can kind of continue to look after your family. Otherwise, you go to, you know, this sort of complicated situation, we can kind of argue about um, whether someone like that did the right thing. Um, but I think when we argue about that sort of thing, we're still usually recognizing the same set of virtues. You know, we recognize honesty is important and we recognize that, you know, it's kind of good to look after your family and so on. Um, but we're kind of disagreeing about how much weight to give each one. So I think, yeah, we have enough shared understanding of virtues to make that sort of discussion possible. And I think what I think that identifies is that determining that someone is a liar is a matter of judgment. It's not a matter of, yes, that they, they, are, they are definitely lying or not. You are making a judgment about their worldview, about whether this reflects their worldview. And sometimes it's not just judgment. So if yeah. you've got a CCTV camera and the, pers- and the person <laughs> says, I did not steal, yeah. and the CCTV evidence shows that they did steal, well, that they, was they a- always, there is always a defense. They, they could always say, I wasn't stealing the jewels. I was wanting to see them outside in the daylight to see what they looked like. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I, I wasn't stealing the jewels. I was wanting to show them to my boyfriend, girlfriend outside to give me some advice. I was looking at some other jewels at the same time. I just forgot they were in my pocket. You need there's to be a lawyer. <laughs> there's an indefinite number of ways in which somebody can try and defend their position. And of course, we laugh because we think, well, that's ridiculous. And so we're making a judgment that in that case, their claim of what, about whatever it was is not a plausible one. But I'm wanting to draw attention to the fact that it's always a judgment and the, that I think that we are often too quick to just saying, well, we know that person is lying. And that's because we've not really understood their outlook and, and, what, and what's going but on. But there are cases and one where of the it's... interesting things about, sorry, about the English law is, of course, we decide points of law based on judgment. We, we don't say we're going to find the truth about whether this person was a murderer or not. We decide whether we judge they are a murderer or not. And I, I, I entirely support that idea. In response to your you know, hypothetical question about a society where honesty no longer matters, I think probably we're all in agreement that we, we need honesty. It covers more than 90% of the cases where we, we want to be able to trust other people because otherwise people could defraud us by asking us to transfer money to them when they're not actually who we think they are, etc. So honesty is a kind of core of, of human society. Right, well, that's a great note to end on. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So please join me in thanking Rebecca, Simon and Hilary. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit iii.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers.